Hi, my name is Anthony Jr. and I'm so excited that you came to Safety Realm today to get your health and safety information. Please sit back, relax, and get the information you need to promote safety and health in your workplace and even in your homes. And remember, safety is health. Now, let's get into today's segment. This segment is sponsored by safetyrealm-oshinternational.talentlms.com, a safety consultant company that offers health and safety training online. Safety Realm is now partnering with Osh International to provide hundreds of online courses to help your business stay safe and compliant. Click the link in the description to start your training today. Three. What's going on, everybody? Anthony Jr. here, and thank you for tuning into the Safety Realm. So just as I promised, I told you guys and ladies out there, I'll be coming with special guests. And this is a special segment. We're going to learn a lot today. Today, we're going to be talking about athletics, safety and health. And today, who I have is Mr. Eve Batoba. Mr. Eve Batoba is the vice president of player development for Neostar Football, a sports agency focused on athletic marketing contract advising. Prior to that, he worked for the NFL's Miami Dolphins. Also, he worked for the University of Notre Dame Athletics and the NCAA. At each stop, his focus was to help with holistic development of individuals to reach their full potential on the field, the court, and the track field. He graduated from Oklahoma State University, where he triple majored in business administration, sports management, and marketing, while he also played defensive back for his university. Born in the Republic of Congo, Eve currently resides with his wife in Dallas, Fort Worth, in the Texas area where he grew up. Mr. Eve, how's it going, sir? Man, it's phenomenal. Everything is well over here, man. Appreciate you having me on. Great, man. That's great. That's good. Man, first, I want to say now, this is not on the outline, but, man, I got friends from Africa. I got a buddy from Kenya, Nairobi. Yeah. I got a buddy from Nigeria. I met a guy from the Congo in 2018. How does it feel to make that transition from Africa here to the States? Now, I'll tell you what, man. We're, we're out here. We're deep, for sure. And it's honestly, um, whenever you come over here from, from another country, I think that you have a, a different outlook as far as the opportunities that um, you're able to actually embark into. You know, I, I think long gone are the days to where if you're African, you come into the country, you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, or, or, or you're just a disgrace to this family, right? So um, opportunities right. Are, are starting to expose themselves even more um, out here in the U.S., man. So we're just trying to take advantage of all of them. So uh, now it's been great, man. been here in the U.S. since 1998 uh, when I was in mm-hmm. elementary school. And, you know, didn't learn English until, you know, two years later. That's when I became fluent in English, I should say. But ever since then, man, uh, kind of hit the ground running, hit the ground running. Man, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I remember the first um, one of the first people that I talked to when I got to college, uh, this lady was from Africa. And she said, why don't you get into the healthcare field? And at first I was like, well, no, nah, I want to do IT. But she was really trying to push me to get into the healthcare field. And I said, I don't understand why this lady trying to push me. But as I got a little bit older, about two years later, 
I realized that that's kind of a, a thing. Like, you know, they know that the healthcare always have work. So I guess she was just saying on the longevity side, as mm-hmm. far as the career path, there will always be work. Is that something that maybe they teach in Africa or, you know, like me on that? No, you know what, man? Whenever I came over to the U.S., because I left Congo when I was six, and then we went to South Africa. I left South Africa when I was seven years old, so while I was in the second grade. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like everything's pretty traditional. You know, you, you get into school so that you can get a good job, and then, you know, you kind of work your way through that job, through that corporate ladder. So I left Africa, you know, pretty young. So as far as what the curriculum mm-hmm. in schools look like right now in the 21st century, I wouldn't even be able to tell you just because I haven't been – around it as much um but it would be interesting to see if they've implemented anything new that would lead to more creative uh, education gotcha gotcha now do you speak uh more than the english language yeah man so french is my first language french was okay yeah so so congo was colonized by the belgium and Mm -hmm. um Congo is actually the largest french-speaking country in the world as far as population goes and okay. yeah, man. So that was my first language. Still trying to retain a lot of it. <laughs> Whenever you don't speak uh, it as much, you tend to forget a little bit. But still, right. still, still speak to my parents in, in, in French. And every now and then, I'll meet somebody that speaks French, and and we can chop it up. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. So tell me, man, about your personal journey to this point in your career. Man, the journey has been real interesting because whenever, what? So I was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, actually, in fact, at the time when I was born, it was called Zaire, uh, but then it changed its name in 1996. But being in Congo, we had to leave and escape because of uh, the, the, the first Congo war that broke out. It was really close to my hometown, Kinshasa was the name of the city, uh, which is the nation's capital. So we fled there, moved to South Africa post-apartheid South Africa, mind you. So Nelson Mandela was president. They had just Mm -hmm. left apartheid a few years before that. So, you know, racial segregation was still kind of in the air. You know, tensions were still in the air. And that was a miserable experience for us, to be honest. We had, we, I mean, anything that you can think of, we didn't have any friends at school. The white folks didn't want to be around us because we're black, but then the black folks didn't really want to associate themselves with us because we weren't South African, right? And then you get yeah, our, our 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 parents, you know, our house. We got broken into a few times. Burglary, burglaries took place. My mom mm-hmm. was the victim of some some physical assault. Um, I remember there was one time we got called out of school. We came back home, and my mom had a you know just a, a bruised lip and a black eye. We're like, what in the world is going on? You know, my little brother at the time was one years old, getting death threats. Mm-hmm. Um, on his life, they're saying, hey, if you don't move out of here, you, you know, we're going to kill this kid. So horrible wow. experience while we were over there. We were fortunate right. that we had some family that lived in, in the U.S. So we left Congo, moved to New York. After New York, it was mm-hmm. Charlotte. Saw our hand in Charlotte and eventually got to the great state of Texas, which is where I, I, I grew up. And if you know anything about Texas, football is a big deal yes, over sir. here, man. Football is like a religion. <laughs> So, yeah. so, so, you know, you, you grew up to fall in love with the sport of football. I got pretty good at it. And I was fortunate to where I was able to uh, use that experience in high school to play at Oklahoma State University. So went there, did, did my four years at OSU. But something interesting happened after my second year. One of my teammates was uh, projected to be one of the top safeties to be drafted in the NFL draft. 
And mm-hmm. that entire offseason, I'm listening to, you know, Mike Mayhawk and all these guys on TV talk about, oh, yeah, this guy's going to come out. He's going to be, you know, one of the best safeties coming out. So the guy ends up right. getting hurt. And after mm-hmm. he gets hurt, he's able to come back from his injury, his knee injury. But he wasn't quite the same player. And he still had a good season, still had a solid season. Well, after the season, though, he didn't get drafted. So mm-hmm. you're getting a guy who was projected to be the top safety goes undrafted. So he signs as an undrafted free agent to the Tennessee Titans, gets cut uh-huh. during training camp, signs with the Minnesota Vikings, gets cut. That's the end of his career. Never played again. Wow. So I just remember thinking to myself, yo, this guy was way more talented than I was. And if that's how he got treated, I better start thinking about, you know, backup plans, plan B, plan right. C, all that. And I knew I always wanted to be in sports, so that's when I started looking at the business side of sports. So just to make a long story short, man, I got really involved within the athletic department at my campus, uh, especially as it related to just giving opportunities to the student-athletes on campus when it came to leadership Mm -hmm. development, career preparation, and community outreach. So really started working on that. Uh, There was a committee called the Student-Athlete Advisory Committee, so I was fortunate to become president of that at the campus which led to me becoming uh, the representative for the entire Big 12 conference at the national level for the NCAA. So uh, got mm-hmm. to do that for a while and was able to parlay that opportunity into, uh, you know, what you just talked about, my job with the uh, University of Notre Dame, which led to a role with the Miami Dolphins. So I was there for five years working in player engagement, which mm-hmm. uh, has to do with the holistic and comprehensive development of, of athletes, you know, on and off the field. And um, from there, just recently started working with Neostar Football. So uh, now I'm on the athlete representation side of things. Wow. I mean, man, that's an impressive resume. You know, some of the things that you mentioned, even, you know, in your transition when you were a young, young boy, the safety aspect. So, of course, I know you know this. This is a safety and health podcast. And Mm -hmm. some of the things that you said, you know, the safety of your family, having to relocate. Um, I'm sure there are many people who have that same story of certain hostile environments and they have to transition to yeah. areas where they have enough freedom to be able to take care of themselves and their family. And I just think it's awesome, man, that God protected your family to you could get to a place of a place where you could be more safe. So, man, I, I really thank God, man, for that, man. That's that's an incredible story to be able to come from an entire country um and come to the states and i mean thrive in the states it's all about I mean? the grace of god man all about the grace of god because there's nothing that we did you know to protect ourselves yes, during true. that time i left out the part where whenever we had to leave congo we went we had to go through the actual war zone so we're wow. crawling on our elbows and knees while bullets are flying over our heads and wow. you know that i was six years old i vividly remember seeing people drop dead beside me as we had to escape the country so it's all by the grace of god that we were able to make it out because a lot of people weren't wow man that's 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 such a powerful story uh it's actually life-changing so for me with safety and health i want to take it worldwide i want to talk to people in dubai i want to talk to governments and one of the things that i realize is with safety and health is so much involved in every aspect of our lives we just subconsciously don't realize it and recognize it at times and mm-hmm. man your story is so powerful so i'm gonna continue forward here and man that that's a really really good story that's something that i can explain to other people and, and other people that i'm able to collaborate with your story is so impactful so no as question we get i appreciate into, it yes sir and as we get into what's kind of been transpiring um 
within this past year, I wanted to first ask you, can you explain how, port, how important safety and health is in the athletic industry? For the listeners out there who think that safety and health is just something that they talk about in the athletic industry, but they don't really mean it or they don't really have the knowledge of how important it is. Can you explain that? Yeah, I think that the players union. So I'm in the space of the National Football League Mm -hmm. and I represent players now. So the players union and, and the NFL, they really work together to ensure that that players are receiving the proper attention that they need in this space of, of, of safety and health. I think that, you know, medical care, for example, is one of the biggest aspects because one thing about the NFL, the injury rate is about a hundred (laughs) percent. If you play in the league at some point, you are going to get hurt. You know, you're, you're playing against other grown men and you're going at them in full speed. So Mm -hmm. there have to be policies and policies and protocols uh, and foreign policies and protocols that are put in place from medical experts and also, you know, in all facets of the game. So that Mm -hmm. comes down to the equipment that you wear from helmets, shoulder pads, shoes, all the way to the the conditions of the fields that people are playing in um, Mm -hmm. and and, and the studies that go into um, the concussions and bodies. You have people who spend their entire time looking at different head injuries and they're reviewing plays to see, hey, when did these injuries occur? How can we actually reduce these things? So I think that the league continues to make advances um, both on and off the field in an effort to protect its players. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of developments in the NFL through engineering and biomechanics and even all these advanced sensors. Anytime there's new science that comes out, they're using all that material and those forces to to prevent injuries, of course, but also to make sure that the game is is safer. And I think that one of the things that fans see all the time is that there's always all these rule changes and they're saying, ah, oh, the league is soft. The league is this the league is that. Well, it's actually done so that they can protect the players and, right. and, and, and mitigate the risks, you know, of potential injuries. So it's, it's something that's happening year round all the time. And I think that even now, whenever you look at the helmets, for example, individuals are going and they're looking at the equipment and seeing, Hey, how can we use technology to make sure that it's, you know, it's able to absorb shock better and that, you know, the, the, certain elements get get outlawed from the NFL every single year to say, hey, we've actually advanced in this technology. This is able to 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 protect you better. So, uh, you know, from the rule changes all the way to the equipment that is actually used, man, there's a lot of effort that, that definitely goes into this. And that's good to know, man, because, you know, me, what we're talking about today um, is foreign to me. You know, now we do wear, you know, what we call personal protective equipment in the construction industry Mm -hmm. and also in the uh, uh, general industry as well. It just depends on what's going on. But you talk about um, head injuries, and that is definitely something that I'm going to get into later in the segment as well. But the impact that those the head on the human being, just like any other part of the body, that's when you get an injury to your head it affects the entire body differently, you know? So, yep. and, and most people don't recognize that. Like you said, they look at the rules and they say, man, you know, like one of my favorite NFL players of all time was Ray Lewis. And Ray Lewis was a dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Ray Lewis was like, you playing football, you going to get hit. And I'm, I'm not finna, I'm not finna play baby tackle you. Like I'm finna put my entire, probably 275 pounds of solid muscle, like a freight train. I mean, it's coming at you. And oh yeah. You know, when you're playing defense, 
something that I've noticed with a lot of NFL players that play defense. It's like, man, they impact pain as, as well as the impact that they put on their bodies as you're hitting other players, just playing the sport like that. And it's like, like you say, it's a day-to-day grind. It's, it's the technology that they have to start thinking about. And that leads me into my next question. Now, you know, mm-hmm. we've been dealing with COVID-19. COVID-19 has been a big issue. Uh, yeah. It's been something that this is the first virus that in my lifetime, I'm only 30, but I have ever heard of that has affected nations around the world. All it just seems like so quick um, and the volume is so high. So my question is, how has COVID-19 and, and, you know, affected your world in the NFL industry? Is there certain adjustments that had to be made? And if there are, are there certain standards and procedures that were put in place? Let's say getting your temperatures checked before you enter into the facility, having to wash your hands frequently, some of the normal things that we've been hearing on the news and in, in, in a lot of working environments today. Man, whenever everything started happening, it was there was an implement, implementation and really an evolution of so many different measures, testing, mm-hmm. contact tracing, um, all this stuff that had to be in place um, specifically for the NFL. So one of the things that um, that the league office definitely implemented was just one, reducing the amount of people that were actually allowed at the NFL facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, essential staff had to be on there, of course. But contact tracing was huge. So, so whenever a player wasn't in the facility, or even if a player was in the facility, but they had to go in there to make sure they had to see that these bracelets on every single one of the players and these bracelets allowed for them to track just who they're around and how long they're around that person. So if that person mm-hmm. tests is positive now, all of a sudden, okay, they're able to go back and look at, you know, track who the individual was around and maybe that person needs to be under quarantine as well, or they had to keep them away from their teammates. And, you know, over the course of the year, Every single facility across the league, what you were able to find is they did temperature testing every single time that you had to enter. There was a COVID test that was administered every single day of the season. So guys were absolutely uh, probably sick and tired of it. <laughs> you you, you got to imagine they were tired of, you know, the, the, the time that went into it. But it was for good measure. It was definitely for good measure. And um, so over the course of the 2020 season, man, 189 players and staff were actually quarantined. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 tested positive. So okay. when you think about the actual league, you know, 2,000 plus players, only 20 positive tests. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Right. So a lot of people were critical of the league whenever they decided they were going to still have this season. But you have to think if they were at home, would they still have gotten these types of results? Right. You know, if, if, if they were, you know, near family members, if they didn't have access to all these different types of tracing. So, you know, transmissions were observed in persons who had like interactions of less than 15 minute durations. Mm-hmm. And then they had to kind of revise the definitions of high risk contacts and required uh, the consideration of mask use and sending, setting up like room ventilation um, in addition to proximity and duration of interactions just within uh, NFL offices. So it was, it was real man for the players, for the coaches and even the support staff, a lot of people were just not allowed into club environments at all. Right. A lot of working from home type of deal for 
um, a lot of people working in management in the NFL industry as well, just to keep them from, if they weren't essential workers, was it kind of like that as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, everything had to be adjusted from the time that off season workouts started last April. Um, everything had to be done virtually. So nobody was actually in the facilities. People had to be at home doing their own workouts. So I think over the course of the year, they administered over like 630,000 PCR tests um, over for, for, for all the players and the staff members. And uh, it, it was real, man. It, it was definitely um, extensive. But, you know, it, I think that the results speak for themselves. They were able to get it um, safely done and no games got canceled over the course of the season. So, um, you know, I think major props to the NFL and all the essential workers that were able to get the season, the 2020 season uh, started and ended. Yeah, I think that was, yeah, that was a great accomplishment because, you know, yeah, I'll be honest. I, I sat back and I said, wow, I'm surprised they're not canceling the season. You know, I kind of thought that they would have definitely just said we're putting a hold to it. But, you know, some of the things that uh, as a safety professional that I think about from time to time is, you know, we have to remember that people, even though you want to keep people as safe as possible, um, you still want to keep people working. People have families to take care of. And some of the things uh, for me personally that I thought about as this pandemic, for when it first started, I'd probably say after two months, I said to mm -hmm. myself and see thing will blow over. And that's really what I thought. I said, well, man, maybe this is just another uh, virus that will probably blow over after a while. And yeah. Man, as the year kept going and going into this year, okay, wait a minute. This thing is a little bit more serious than kind of what I thought, but it taught me something though. It taught me that first of all, don't freak out, you know, uh, you know, don't, don't think this is the black plague, but be safe, you know, as you go places, mm -hmm. when you're out at Walmart, when you are going to work, uh, you know, right now, you know, I say this as a joke, but it's kind of a real joke. Uh, right now, everybody's making life decisions on whether or not they're going to really cough in the meeting. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, for real. Every, everybody, I mean, I remember I had a little dry cough and I was like in a meeting and I'm sitting in this safety meeting and I'm like, dude, I got a cough. Because COVID-19 <laughs> is like a big deal. I mean, man, everybody was freaking out. You had people buying toilet paper. And nobody was buying cold flu symptom uh, medicine and saying, you can't do nothing about it. It's in the air. And I'm like, wait, what? You know, I mean, people mm -hmm. literally freaking out. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, and I've always been this type of man where I always think for myself, you know, I self thinking, not that not outside of God, but literally just saying, I don't want everything for me because what happened is, They'll be freaking out because they freaked out. So I remember I was talking to this lady, man. I remember like it was yesterday. She was like, I mean, yeah, there's nothing you could do. It's in the air. I mean, it's in the air. Mm. But, well, you got to clarify what's in the air because I'm I'm outside in the air right now. You're standing six feet right. away from me. And uh, I hope I don't just walk outside of my home and catch COVID because it's in the air. Bro, I remember. <laughs> I remember uh, when before the shutdown, I was in Las Vegas actually for league meetings. Mm -hmm. So we were out there in Vegas, you know, celebrating the new football team. The Las Vegas Raiders had just gotten out there, mm -hmm. and somebody on a strip in Vegas had gotten COVID, and then it started shutting everything down. Right. So the event that I was at actually 
canceled. They ended early. So I found a flight the next day. I'm on my way out on the airport. Uh, I'm drinking a glass of water. Uh-huh. And it, you know you know how the water goes down the wrong pipe? So it goes down the wrong pipe. I got a cough. Yeah. So I'm over here on the plane like, you know what? I just got I, I to let this thing out because <laughs> I drank the water wrong. So here I am. Yeah. <laughs> Bruh, they looked at me with anger. Yeah. Everybody yeah. on the plane is over here leaning forward, looking at me like, oh, shoot, he got it. Yeah. So he got the Rona. So, I, yeah, man, it's real. It is real. I, I had to, yeah. and then from that point going forward, it's yeah, you got to pick your battles. <laughs> you got to, man. Yes, I mean, I said, man, this is, you know, I, I I really like comedy a lot. In here one day, and I'm I'm at work, and this guy coughs, and everybody, hey, 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 you all right? You are, and I said, man, this is, <laughs> man, this is ridiculous. You making life decisions to cough? You know, it's, I mean, like you know, now I admit, you know, I'll be honest with you, one little cough. <laughs> All right, that's one thing. Another little cough. <coughs> that's another thing. But now you done in that's ten minutes. Thing. Ten minutes. You done coughed every two and a half minutes. And <coughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Now we got a yeah, problem. Man, uh, got I got a. Problem. I got a. And and me, man. You know, I'm I'm a believer, right? In Jesus, and I'm like, look, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, but I ain't crazy either. I ain't just gonna stick around somebody just coughing and coughing. You know, you didn't cough the whole room down. So. Yeah, Jesus said you got to use, use wisdom, man. Real talk. So here's another question that I have for you. And I think this one now, this one, I don't think it's a controversial question, but I'm going to ask. OK, here's the question. OK. Is there any indication that the NFL is requiring for its players to get the COVID-19 vaccination in order to play? Yeah, so here's the best thing that I have to say about that, because the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, actually had a statement to where they're not going to mandate it. Okay for any players to take the vaccine. But whenever I look at that statement, here's going to be the greatest motivation. You know, I think it's you go into the training camp and you're fighting for a roster spot, Mm -hmm. fighting for a roster spot, fighting for a roster spot. And I say you go and you test positive for the vaccine. Now you have to go in quarantine for 10 days. Meanwhile, the other person on the roster that's fighting for your spot, they're over there still getting all your reps Mm -hmm. and they're practicing. That's the greatest motivation right there for you to go and get the vaccine. And guys feel that pressure. Yeah. That's one thing about the NFL. It is a high-pressure environment, um, whenever, especially whenever you're on the bottom half of the roster and you know that you have, to, you have to fight. You have to fight to stay activated because, unfortunately, one of the biggest things about the NFL is what have you done for me lately? Yeah. It doesn't matter what, you, what you've done in the past. What are you doing for me right now? Yeah. So guys are going to feel that pressure. And if I had to guess, I would say the majority of players in the league will get vaccinated simply off the pressure of keeping their jobs and providing for their families. Absolutely. Yeah, I was talking to one of my guys, and um, we got on a conversation about the COVID-19 vaccine. And, uh, you know, everybody's feeling kind of different. Some people are like, I don't need it. Some people are like, no, I'm going to get it just as a safety precaution. And I'm kind of like this, the way I look at it as a person, I look at it like this. If you get it, it's an act of faith. If you don't get it, in my opinion, because you've never gotten COVID-19, I can understand that too. Um, so I'm, I feel like, you know, it's a free country. And if you want to get it, get it. But I do think that there is going to, there could be some conflict. Let's say, for example, if a worker is working at a hospital and they're coming in and out uh, upon request, at that hospital, mm-hmm. they may say, hey, in order for you to work here, you do need to have in order for you to be in a specific area. Let me say that within the hospital, 
it could be now i'm not sure that this is going to ever happen but it could be that they say we're recommending that only people who have the COVID 19 vaccination or vaccine can actually come to this area and at that point like you say it's your career and your finances yeah. that you're thinking about you're not thinking about however your beliefs are in regards to i don't need it or whatever you have to think well, how is this going to affect my family? If I don't get this vaccine, I can't come to this job. You know, so, for example, in construction, a lot of times the, the, the jobs that we may get may be for a year. They may be for two years. And sometimes we may come in and do some reconstructing or additions to buildings. And so far, you know, there hasn't been any indication that any facilities that I know of personally are requiring for people to have the vaccine because again we live in a free country so that was kind of why i was asking i was just kind of wondering because you have to think there are people that are very wealthy that are pro-vaccine you know they're like hey if think about it if, if i'm a billionaire and i own a institution mm-hmm. and i'm making millions upon millions of dollars a year you kind of would assume that if I'm pro, hey, we got to get vaccinated, that I may kind of push for the people that work for my business to do so. So that's kind of why yeah. I'm um, asking that question. And the implications could be so high. Yeah. You know, if you have key people within your organization who aren't able to be there and perform because they caught uh, the COVID-19, mm-hmm. now that has huge implications on the bottom line. And not just on the bottom line, but on the overall performance of the organization. And I think especially in sports, whenever so much is relied on just the talent of certain individuals. Um, You look at the NBA, for example, you know, one person catches it or one person has to go under quarantine. There's only 15 people on the roster. So you have to take all those precautionary measures just to ensure that you're not putting your teammates, your coaches, your organization at risk. And I think that the NBA did one of the best jobs possible whenever they went into that bubble uh, to finish off the playoffs in the, in, in the 2020 season, 2019-2020 season. Um, and, and they've really set the, the bar, and set the standard for a lot of other leagues to follow and, and, and try to mimic as far as their procedures go. But they, know, they knew that if anybody tested, that could – that could have a complete domino effect on a team, on a league, mm-hmm. on the corporate partners, on the TV <laughs> viewership. So there are definitely huge implications just uh, for making sure that, that you're taking all of the precautionary measures. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And like you say, man, it's, it's also thinking about families and stuff. And that's going to actually get me into the next um, question that I have. I'm going to read something that I read on the website that you sent me at NFPA.com, mm-hmm. I read that there has been 23% of uh, a decrease in missed time injuries. Um, it's stated on the website yeah. that over the past five years, the average number of missed time injuries annually for all NFL players was 3,524. For the 2020 season, the number um, of missed time injuries decreased to 2,716. So, when we talk about missed time, I was reading on this website and I was actually very shocked. Um, I think that this mm-hmm. also could kind of affect the mental health of players. They were talking about that if they miss too much time, um, it could affect their finances. And this is something uh, that I, I had no prior knowledge about. I thought, you know, if they sign a contract for $10 million, um, 
for the next four years, they get that 10 million. I didn't know that maybe there are stipulations to, you know, hey, well, we're expecting you to play X amount of games within these next four years in order for you to get the entire 10 million. So um, give us some understanding of um, how important it is for players not to miss time, um, how what happens when they miss time and how it affects the players. Yeah, so when you're talking about missed time, you're talking about missed time in practices and in games. And what you find is in the player, or in the NFL, players get paid for the games that they play or the games that they're on a roster, right? So you have 17 games during the season, and up to now, up to this year, guys get paid, sorry, 16 games during the season that last 17 weeks, Mm -hmm. right? So 16 games plus a bye week. And guys are getting played over the course, getting paid over the course of those 17 weeks. So that's when their paychecks come in. They're not getting paid by the team during the other points of the year. So that's actually going to change in 2021. So now it's going to go over the span of 36 weeks where guys are getting paid. But if a guy's not out there producing, now all of a sudden that could dock his pay. Wow. And especially if he has certain contract bonuses and incentives that are in there that depend on uh, certain performance factors, right? Certain stats that he may achieve or a percentage of snaps that he played during that season or uh, a team reaching the playoffs, you know, so different things like that. So now all of a sudden it's built in that player's contract that says, yeah, if you're not out here performing, you can't earn the potential of this contract. And that's the thing about NFL contracts in general is that they're not guaranteed. Right. There, there, there are no guaranteed contracts in the NFL because – you always want to look at the guaranteed money that a player is getting, never the overall money, because a lot of those are incentive-based. But whenever you look at that guaranteed money, even, if a player ends up getting released, he may not even be able to earn the full amount of that. And that's why a player's union is so pivotal, to being able to you know, just make sure that the player can get what is due to them. So that's where it becomes that much more uh, strenuous as far as the pressure and the stress that overcomes these players over the course of just a, a football season because you have to be able to get paid. I have to be able to provide for my family. And the best ability in the NFL is availability. So they're doing any and everything that they can to make sure that, hey, I'm making sure that I'm icing my body after practice. Right. I have to do my prehab and I have to do rehab workouts if I'm not able to get out there on the field. The biggest thing that NFL players are thinking about is getting on the field and playing football. So oftentimes it has to do with your nutrition to make sure that you're keeping that, you know, those inflammatory, that inflammatory low, you're eating the right things, but also making sure that your body is always in tip top shape to perform. And uh, if you got a little nick, if you got a little, you know, bruise or, or whatever it is, maybe you need to go in and do some pliability work or you need to go and do and work on your range of motion and some stretching. Guys are really getting into yoga these days, right, for flexibility purposes. So all those different things come to play. But that's just a matter of, hey, being in tune with the sports science, the athletic trainers, as well as the strength and conditioning staff and coming up with a game plan for the player's individual body. Right. That's where you come in on the health side to make sure that you're protected and that you're safe. Wow. Yeah, I, man, everything that you said is, is, is going to be a very, uh, very intuitive um, part of our segment today because I, I always thought, you know, I grew up watching like Tracy McGrady, um, Kobe Bryant, and you hear about NBA players and you see NFL players signing contracts for 
you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and you look at the endorsement mm-hmm. deals and you always hear the pro athletes, especially when they get into a little trouble, they always talk about how it affects th- their family life. But I, I never being an outsider, not being in a locker room like you have been, not actually being able to interact with these players. I've never really mm-hmm. realized that that their finances could be affected. You know, uh, now I don't know about the uh, NBA, but let's talk about the NFL. I, I didn't know that, you know, which kind of takes you to this mental health question where you say, where is the mental health of a NFL player if they get injured and they know they may be out for the remainder of the season? If they have 14 yeah. more games and they're hurt or if they have 10 more games and they're hurt, what are some of the uh, – what are some of the uh, reactions that you've seen from NFL players mentally when they are injured? Yeah, so what you find in the NFL is, you know, whenever a guy is out there on the field on game day, he has to be eight feet tall and bulletproof. Mm-hmm. But whenever he's inside of the team facility over the course of the week, you can you can let your guard down a little bit. You can let people in, right? You can be a little more vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, just to ensure that you're, you're being taken care of, especially mentally. Right. Uh, you know, that pressure that I talked about earlier, of course, that can bring about a bunch of stress and anxiety mm-hmm. on a person just in general. But I think, too, especially whenever a player gets hurt and he's no longer able to do the thing that he loves. Think about it this way, Anthony. If you have been told your entire life that you are this thing, you're an athlete, you're an athlete, you're an athlete, you're a football player. And then all of a sudden your body is no longer able to do this thing that everybody has been reinforcing mm-hmm. your whole life. Now you don't even know what your identity yep. is anymore. Now you're going through what's called identity foreclosure. You're not able to do the thing that everybody around you, including yourself, has said that mm-hmm. you are. So now it's easy to get into withdrawal, to get into depression. The money's not coming in. And now that's why you find it so often that whenever guys transition out of the game, they, 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 there's a sense of a loss of identity. Mm-hmm. They start abusing drugs and alcohol and the divorce rate is up, right? All these things happen from having a lack of purpose. Yeah. So one of the things that the NFL has done recently actually is it is now required that all 32 teams has a team clinician that is uh, on site at least 10 hours a week uh, during the regular season. So a team clinician is always there for a player to be able to talk to. Um, and different people specialize in different things, right? So I know whenever I was with the Miami Dolphins, we had uh, a selection of different mental health professionals that specialize in different things. So if you're talking about anxiety, if you're talking about depression, stress, marital issues, right, um, all that stuff we had in our repertoire that a player can go and see, and it was completely confidential apart from the team. So um, that was always available if they want to do it on-site, if they want to do it off-site, right, they had their offices as well. Um, but there has to be uh, certain programming and measures that are in place for players who are not playing, uh, whether it's because of injury or if it's just because they're on the practice squad and they're not actually on there on Sundays with the rest of their teammates, right? That plays a huge mental toll on these uh, elite-level athletes. Um, so, yeah, man, I would say that that's one of the biggest focuses that you're starting to see a shift in, in across mm-hmm. all sports. Just uh, uh, you're seeing a lot of mental health advocates, and I'm glad that all these players are realizing that, you know what, it's okay to be vulnerable, and it's all right for me to start talking about these things openly because a lot of people are dealing yeah, with it. Yeah, and, and you said something that I want to tell my listeners is very key. 
see, in the we have um, in my line of business what we call a JSA or a JHA. It's basically a job safety analysis sheet or a job hazard analysis sheet. Now, with this job hazard analysis sheet, if I had to do some pipe fitting work, I would actually write down step by step the work that I'm doing, the hazards involved with the work that I'm doing, and how I'm going to either um, eliminate a specific hazard and mitigate hazards, right? And I brought that up to say in the NFL, what I like that you just told me is they know that, you know, how contracting is set up based off of the information that you told me. Players understand that this is a, a I mean, this is a dog-eat-dog sport. This is, this is I'm, I mean, yeah. for the lack of a better term, just a slang term, you know, hey, I'm, we we bagging we bagging people like we're 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 throwing bodies around we're running there mm-hmm. is also a uh, there's also a probable cause of getting injured and because players know that and because yeah. the NFL knows that they have programs in place to help players when they are injured I can't tell you how many times when I was a young boy I've heard NBA basketball players NFL players tennis players. Um, they may not say they're depressed. They may not say that it's affecting them with them not being able to play, but you can tell that this is really bothering this person. And when you're looking from the outside in, you're thinking, man, you're a multimillionaire. You, you just signed a contract for $150 million before that you play five years in the league and you didn't get hurt. You get hurt one time, you get hurt two times out of the, the past 10 years. And all of a sudden you're saying, kind of depressing a little bit you know I'm sure you've heard players say that and you're like wow you know and I never thought of it like that you've been told and and that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize that it's not just hey you're getting paid to play this game 16 times a year no this is a 365 day commitment (laughs) you know like being a professional athlete is something that happens year round and during those off months whenever you don't want to do anything that's because you're giving your body a chance to freaking recover like your body just took a beating for for four months you know like it's a it's it's really a full time year round job that that is serious. Yeah. And and man, you know, I was talking to my wife, and I was telling her, you know, what you just said is so key, bro. So many people do not recognize that whether you're an athlete or you're going to a nine to five job, if you're an athlete and you're a pro, you're a pro athlete. That's a job, bro. That's not that's not you get to it's sit down and drink pina coladas and and eat any type of way all year long like if you want to make money if you want to take care of your family if you want to be a superstar if you want to perform at the highest level there must be discipline and you have to look at it as a job so i i hear about nfl players saying they're in the gym working out four o'clock in the morning i mean they're at the gym Mm -hmm. and chad um chad johnson um which is i think they used to call him ocho cinco he was one of my favorite yeah. wide receivers of all time. And one of the things that I hear him talk about on a YouTube video, along with other NFL players, is how early they're at the gym. And it's like, yeah, I mean, some of it is, you know, repetitive repetition. You're used to doing this because you've been playing the sport for so long. But when you mm-hmm. get into adulthood and you you actually have to perform, they expect you to be the same Chad Johnson you was the last five games. And when you're not that Chad Johnson, you yeah. get criticized and how that can affect a person's mental health, you know? Um, 
yeah, consistency and commitment is the most important part of being an NFL player. Like that professionalism has to be there. You have to commit yourself to the lifestyle because, yeah, sometimes it may get mundane and it may get boring, but I tell you what, there's nothing boring about being a dominant athlete <laughs> right, in, in, in the U.S. So that's just what's required of it, man. It, it almost gets to the point to where it's boring, but you got to show up and be that same type of person day in and day out. And, and you know what? I have a question for you now. This is not a part of my outline here, but I'm, I'm very curious. When we talk about the health of the player, uh, we, we talk mm-hmm. about the concussions, and I've seen some of the greatest NFL players um, come out and say, you know, with the concussions and, and getting the necessary help that they need, um, how important is this discussion about the concussions and players after they have retired from the NFL league? Yeah, I think that, um, so there's, you know, what's called the player care foundation. And I think even the NFLPA um, has done a really good job with the latest collectively bargain agreement to where they're able to, um, provide certain uh, EEG testing and brain scans and testing for former players um, that's covered in their insurance mm-hmm. plan. But um, I think that one of the biggest things to also, also keep in mind is that the science up to this day is so incomplete whenever it comes to what, what, what do they call it? Um, mm-hmm. CED. The science has been so incomplete up to this point. Right. They're saying that it's these concussions that are causing these things in his brain, but they've only studied individuals after they have died. Okay. And it's so hard to actually track where it's coming from. The science to this day is really incomplete. I think people try to scare people off and say, oh, you play football, you're going to be this type of player. But I think uh, you have a whole bunch of former football players who are really sharp, you know, going into their 70s and 80s and they're super sharp. So. For former players, uh, <clears throat> the science, of course, is incomplete. I think the NFL is definitely trying to get ahead mm-hmm. of it right now. So I think that, for example, there's the competition committee um, and the player safety advisory panel. And what they do is they go in and analyze and they cover all injuries that impact players, right, including concussions, mm-hmm. of course. And then they consider how uh, protocols and rule changes are making an impact on player safety. So one of the rules, for example, is they completely modified the kickoff. Right. And they shortened it to where there are less kickoffs. And, and then even the use of helmet rule, uh, which states that it's a foul that if a player lowers his head to make, you know, to initiate contact with his helmet mm-hmm. against an opponent. So just an example, what you find is whenever they reviewed the data and they looked at all the different videos and they suggested that there may be a, a, an increased risk associated with lowering the head to align the neck and the spine to initiate and make mm-hmm. contact. Um, So they agreed to make the rule change to reduce that risk. And what it did is it showed that over the course of an entire season, kickoffs represented only 6% of plays, but 12% of all concussions. So eliminating that, boom, you you reduce that risk, right? Reduce that data. And now with all these new rule changes, that stat that you were able to list off, right? 23% decrease in all these head injuries. I mean, that's why that along with the evolution of equipment um, that, that, that has been taking place really, I think 2016, they really started getting really serious about it where um, the NFL put together a, a, a muscle, it's called a musculoskeletal mm-hmm. committee. Um, and what they do is they coordinate extensive research on, uh, you know, on helmets, on the shoes, just to make sure that um, 
you know, the, the, the players are reducing that risk of these health issues, especially on those uh, head injuries. Wow. That's, that's good information, man. And, you know, I'm going to ask you this as well. So I know, let me tell you exactly how this works. Let's talk about um, the how the NFL handled the um, lost time due to injury. So in construction, right, or in the industry, mm-hmm. they have something that is called workers' compensation. So you're at yeah. work. And somebody, let's say somebody's working on the clock, they end up slipping and falling and they hit their head on the floor. And they end up having a, let's say, not necessarily a concussion, but let's say that they're kind of out of it for a couple of hours. I'm just kind of using this as an example. Like they're here, but they're not here because their head is severely in pain. So the workers' compensation insurance would cover the hospital visit. And also the um, workers' compensation would also cover any medication. So for the end, yeah. by the way, then the workers' compensation would also pay that employee. I believe in Texas it's up to like 70%. It may depend on the workers' compensation through the, through the actual company. My question is, how does the mm-hmm. NFL um, deal with covering medical expenses? Does some of it... Does all of it come out of the NFL's pocket since they happen technically at work when they're on the field? Or is that kind of coming out of their their budgeting a little bit, if I could say it that way, for the players? Yeah, no, no, no. So, so workers' comp is definitely a, a, a real thing okay. within the NFL as well. So, you know, you have all these workers' comp lawyers um, under the NFLPA. And, you know, they just – they make sure that – whatever medical costs that these players have, they're able to get covered. Um, so a large percentage of these uh, medical costs um, do get taken care of um, to where it's not all on the player. And what happens is whenever a player gets designated for injury res- reserve or IR and um, he can no longer, you know, because of his injury, he, he'll, he'll be out for a substantial amount of time, maybe the rest of the season. The player then gets the option to, okay, he can continue to, do, to train and do rehab at the team facility, or he can go to a different facility and maybe he trusts more, maybe he's closer to family, you know, wherever else. But um, the workers' comp insurance is actually able to go ahead and cover that. And, um, you know, oftentimes um, what you get from a team is uh, if a player isn't playing, there's a down amount, what's called a down amount in their contract to where, you know, the pay gets reduced. But oftentimes, if a player is in a second, third, fourth contract, that down amount gets canceled out to where they can actually still collect the pay of what they would be owed via their contract um, while their medical bills are still getting covered. That's great, man. That's, that's really, really great. Yeah, I was wondering about that um, because injuries are so prevalent, you know, in sports. Um, you know, I remember um, Serena Williams, uh, her recent, uh, not too long ago, her, her match with uh, Naomi uh, and Mm-hmm. You know, I looked on YouTube and I was listening to her interview and I, I have this question for you. We've been talking about safety and health all the way through the actual segment here, the safety of the players, the health of the players, how important it is. And I was thinking about Serena Williams. I remember Serena Williams playing tennis when I was a teenager, right? You know, a young teenager. So she plays Naomi. Yeah. And she loses. I think this was her second time. And as she's doing the interview, uh, she kind of gets emotional. Um, 
and she mm-hmm. walks off stage and says, you know, she, she basically kind of was saying, I can't do the rest of this interview. And she's really close to beating a particular, I mean, to meeting a record um, that is, I mean, if she meet, meet, meets this record as a female, this would be huge, you know, like this would solidify yeah. her career so big. And I remember listening to Stephen A. Smith talk about Naomi, she's young, and Serena Williams was just like her when she was coming up. Very athletic, very Mm. strong, um, lots of energy, and age plays a factor in athletics. When you get a certain age, your mind is sharp, but your body is kind of treading a little bit as far as in performance. So how important is it for pro athletes mentally how important is it to them when they realize i can no longer compete to the capacity that i could in my prime years um how does that affect them does it make them feel um i know we talked about when they retire not being able to play the sport um or not being uh validated as much but let's say they are still playing the sport Mm -hmm. they're not injured they just physically can't keep up with the younger players. Um, how does that affect the NFL player? And that's the toughest part, man, because you know that your body has certain limitations. At some point, you're going to be 26 years old and your body feels like, mm-hmm. like you're 40 years old. Um, or, 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 you know, you're you, you just not as young as you once were. You're not as athletic as you used to be. And that's the biggest thing. I think that guys have to also realize how they can develop their minds during the actual sport. Ray Lewis is a guy that you mentioned earlier, and he talks about how 80% of the game is played from mm. the neck up, right? In between the mental, it's played in the brain, understanding film study, where you need to position yourself, how to get to somewhere before uh, your body even knows where to get there, you know, just, just, just to, that's how you kind of give yourself a cheat code. That's how you can predict the future. You have to be able to predict the future by studying film and understanding formations and understanding what that other defensive coordinator or that other coordinator or that head coach likes to do in these types of situations. How does a quarterback, his stance impact the game? Whenever I look at the knuckles of an offensive guard, oh, that means I know he's about to pull and I know I have to be in this position. So just those little things, right? I remember even whenever I played, I remember – I always knew if it was a run or a pass by how the the quarterback was staggering his feet. And I didn't even know if he realized it. So just those little things are what you have to pick up in order to just make sure that you're mentally ahead of it because your body goes a lot faster Mm -hmm. than your head does. And once your body goes, that's the the beginning of the end. So right now in the NFL, the average career is only about three years. The average career is only about three years. And, and, And because it takes such a physical toll on you, so those people who are able to go and make it out for it to have these eight, nine, 12 year careers, mm-hmm. I mean, more power to them. But a lot of times it's because they're physical freaks genetically, but they also understand what to do with, uh, you right. know, with the preparation when it comes into how do you approach game week? But whenever you actually come to that realization, like, hey, a lot of times in the league, by the time you hit 26, 27 years old, that's the beginning of you know, starting to wow. go down, downhill, you know? And that's what makes it so tough is because your career ends so early. And, you know, even if you go on to play 15 years in the NFL, think about this, Anthony. You enter the league, you're 22 years old, you have a 15-year career. 
I mean, you beat the odds. That's ridiculous. 15 years in the NFL, nobody plays 15 years. And, and you retire. Well, guess what? You're only 37 wow. years old. You still got the whole yeah. rest of your life that you have to live. And you devoted 37 years almost to this game, to this sport. And you're supposed to walk away and reinvent yourself. It's emotional, right? I remember Brett Favre talking about how, you know, even though he played 20 years, it still felt like, you know, the snap of a finger. Wow. It was all going to heartbeat. And it's hard for these guys. So whenever Serena Williams is all emotional and talking about it, yeah, I'm sure she's coming to the realization, like, I'm not the best in the world anymore. By the way, in my opinion, I think Serena Williams is the GOAT. Like, she is one of the greatest athletes. Forget male or female. One of the greatest athletes of all time, if not the greatest athlete of all time. But, yeah, man, it's, it's so tough whenever you devote every aspect, mind, body, spirit, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to this game. And now you feel like your body yeah. is failing you. Like you, it's letting you down. And that's why, you know, it's not uncommon to, to see people starting to take, you know, PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs that are banned and outlawed in order to keep up with that guy who's 21 years old, fresh out of college, knowing that I'm, you know, knocking on 30 years old and I'm still trying to compete yeah. with him for a spot. Because every single year, a quarter of the NFL turns over. A quarter. So that means... 25% new players are coming into the NFL and 25% mm-hmm. are, are heading out. That's every single year. So imagine the stress of feeling that, hey, any year somebody can come in here and take my job because that's what NFL teams are looking to do. They're looking for the next person who's younger, more athletic, and also, by the way, cheaper than you. Young man's so game. So come in and huh? replace you. Wow. So Young man's game. people like uh, Tom Brady is, that's almost unperfect. <laughs> oh, he's a unicorn. My man's a unicorn, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean that—that that is crazy. And I'll tell you this, man. I for the first time, I kind of felt a little bit of what Serena Williams felt, and I'm saying a little bit because I'm not a pro athlete. So the other day, I decide I'm going to get my push-up pro, and I'm going to do 20 push-ups straight. And I kid you not, dude. I have not been working out for a while. I just started back. I know I sent you that that video of. Uh, on the group message uh, on IG with me playing basketball. And I was with, moving with like, I was like really fast, but I was a heck of a lot faster than that when I was younger. And my chest was burning, bro, because I have not, I have not been <laughs> running like that. In- hey, you know what they say? You know what they say, man? It is easier to stay yeah, in shape, shape than it is to get in shape. Bro. And if you're not constantly I'm sitting there it, like, you know, yeah, as a safety professional, quick. I'm like, I don't think I'm getting heat stress. My chest burning and Man, hold up, man. Let me stand here for a second. And it wasn't hot outside either. It was like like barely 70 degrees that day. But man, I, I Yeah, you just you're just using muscles time, that man. you ain't used so to use. I go in the house, right? And I'm like, man, let me knock out these little 20 push-ups real quick. Let me see how how far I can go. And I kid you not, I used to be extremely active. And I'm and that's why I'm starting to work out again now. And we're talking about mental health, safety, and health. Dude, I kid you not. I got to like seven on the push-up pro and started shaking. And I got mad because I'm like, <laughs> yo, I used to knock like 30 of these out no problem when I was like 18, 20 years old. Like now I'm 30 and I'm shaking. My arms are noodles. And I'm like, and I thought about it. I was like, man, is could you imagine it's humbling. being Serena Williams, being any other athlete? where you have been at this high peak level for so long. 
Like, I'm not even a pro athlete. I'm just thinking about them. You've been the top dog for so long. All of a sudden, there's a new sheriff in town. And you recognize that my body yeah. is, my mind is sharp, but my body can't keep up to the level of my mind. And, and the, what do they call it again? Mm-hmm. What's the word? To the, the IQ of the game is there, but my body can't keep up. And I was like, yo, man, I yeah. couldn't imagine how I would feel if I was Spud Webb. Right. And I got two championships and I'm the top five, six, five, seven guard around the league. I'm like the top dog. I can dunk. I can shoot. I can do all this stuff. And I'm just kind of bringing this into my own story. And then all of a sudden I get out there and see, I when I used to play, I never played for a school, but I used to play at the rec center all the time. So I used to play against guys. They six, three. Six five and I and bro, I would I would not lie about this. I was really good. I could almost dunk the basketball at five six. Like when I was like sixteen, seventeen. I, I was All blocking right. people six seven. I was really good, but to make a long story short, the physicality of the game, even though it wasn't even though it wasn't physical as far as like football, the thing was that got me the most was okay, I can't keep playing this hard. Like, there's no way I could play on the college level and keep playing this hard because my body won't be able to take it. If you know what I mean? Yeah, man. You got to know when it's time to give it up, when to pass the torch. And to that same point, man, one thing that I just want to bring up, too, is for young athletes, for young kids, I think that sports specialization is a bad thing. You know, whenever all year long you're focused on one sport and, hey, I'm going to be a great say basketball player. So all year long, whether it's in season or out of season, I'm only focusing on being a great basketball player, basketball player, basketball player. It's so important that you also run track and that you play soccer and that you play football and that you do all these other things because it develops all these different muscles in your body. The other day I was watching the final four game and Jalen Suggs of Gonzaga, right? Watching March Madness. Um, He goes out there. He's going to be a top three, Mm -hmm. top four NBA draft pick next year. But this guy was also a four-star recruiting quarterback in, 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 in high school. So just keep it in mind, like being able to develop your body totally, it only can serve you better in that game. But also keep in mind, whenever you're in the weight room, mm-hmm. use proper form, right? You're talking about yeah. health and safety, right? Using proper form. In your joints yeah. will thank you in the long run, right? Joint inflammation is a real thing. Like you will pull a muscle you will dislocate whatever if you're not using proper form just for the sake of getting stronger faster. So yeah, maybe you can get stronger a little slower, but like your body is growing, your body is developing, you're going to get strong. Don't worry about it. The most important thing that you can do is make sure that you have the proper form as you're developing your body. Because whenever you're 40 years old, the last thing you want is you saying, ah, my elbows hurt, you know? So take care of them joints, you know, take those fish oil vitamins if you need to right now. Um, but that's like the last thing that I want to say when it comes to training. You know, young kids, do as many things as you can because it's good for all your fast twitch muscles, for your major muscles. But also in that gym, make sure that you have somebody with you, somebody who's spotting yes, you. Sir. Take, take care, care of that care body, of that man. And that's that's a good, good way to end this segment. I hope everybody got all of this great, valuable information. Again, this is Mr. E. Man, this guy here is a great gentleman and a scholar. I really appreciate you coming on, man. Don't make this your last time. Whenever you 
um, have another safety and health topic that you would like to talk about, brother, I'd be more than happy to collaborate with you, man. I really appreciate this, um, this opportunity to work with you. Yes, sir. Anthony, yes, sir. I'd love to do this again. Sure. Man. Thank well, you. guys and Thanks ladies, that's it for today's segment. I'll catch you guys later. And remember, safety is health. Much love. Peace.